Hi, Raphael Bender here, founder of Breathe Education, and you're listening to the Pilates Elephants podcast with me and my co-host, Chloe Bunter. There are many things that are awesome about the Pilates industry. However, many of the practices we take for granted are out of date or just plain pseudoscientific. These are the elephants in the room in Pilates, and we're here to talk about them openly and honestly, and with a fair few F-bombs thrown in. This show is about debunking the myths and giving you science-based tools to become a better, happier, and more fearless teacher. If you've been enjoying the show and you want to give back, give us a five-star rating and write us a glowing review on Apple Podcast app. That'll help other instructors find the show and let us know we're making a difference. Today we've got a really exciting uh, episode for you on all things postpartum Pilates. We're going to be speaking with uh, mine and Raf's really good friend, uh, the extremely uh, talented physio, Anthony Lowe. If you have been worried about how to work with your clients with diastasis recti, this episode is going to leave you feeling empowered to know exactly what to do with them and how to empower them to get moving in the postpartum period. So listen in. We know you're going to enjoy it. Hey, Chloe. Hey, Raph. How are you going? Yeah, freaking awesome. Are you awesome? Yeah, fucking A. <laughs> we, we say that in Australia. We do say that in Australia. Well, I'm also awesome and I'm particularly awesome because I've been so excited about uh the guest that we have today and also the fact that it's the first time we've had a guest and there is three of us. So I've been so excited all week to have our amazing guest, uh, the incredible physiotherapist, Anthony Lowe, with us. Hi, Anthony. Hey, Anthony. Hi, how are you both? Awesome. (laughs) It's kind of a running theme, the the awesome. I'm glad because awesome is a great word. It is. How how are you? I'm going well, thank you. I'm going well. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so um, just for those of you who are listening in, uh, Chloe and Anthony I've been, and I have been friends for a few years now and uh, Anthony and I know each other from, when was it, like 2005 or something like that, like way, this is before the freaking iPhone came I was going to say, did you guys have mobile phones then? <laughs> no, we, were, we had the Nokia 3310. Did you horses to work? How did that work? Flip phones, yeah. <laughs> Um, You're Steve only a little baby, Chloe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, Anthony was, uh, you know, you were a real important mentor to me at that phase of my my development. I learned a lot from you. Um, and uh, we've we've maintained our friendship over the years. And um, So yeah. did you guys work together? To, like, yeah. you worked together? What did you do? Anthony was a physio and I was a Pilates instructor. Aha, uh-huh. in Sydney? <laughs> in Sydney, yeah. In, in Sydney. Sydney. We were in a studio and I rented rooms and Raf was uh, working in the studio there. And, um, yeah, it was cool because in between clients I would hang out with Raf and we would do stuff. And, um, you know, he showed me stuff on all the machines and I showed him, you know, stuff differently. And then we'd talk about things and yeah, it was cool. And oh I God, really I loved love how, that. well, I just really loved hanging out. It was a beautiful location. Um, we got to play on the equipment and, you know, discuss all things nerdy. And I loved pushing Raph and challenging things. You know, I, apparently I have this reputation of asking questions, challenging questions and Raph always loved the discussion. So you know, it was great. And when Raf moved down to Melbourne, anytime I went to Melbourne, we tried to catch up and yeah, it's been good fun. 
Right. I, I went up to Sydney one time, I think, and sat in on uh, your clients for a whole day. That was a lot of fun. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I think you and then Raf, you introduced me to Anthony. I think when I moved to Sydney and you were like, ah, there's a really awesome current evidence-based <laughs> physio in Sydney. Um, you'd really love his stuff. And then I think I started following you on socials because I love what you put out there, Anthony. So Anthony goes by the Physio Detective um, on Instagram. And Anthony's also got an amazing, which I have found so helpful. And I've actually used uh, a lot of your YouTube clips with my clients. So Anthony's got a great YouTube channel, really comprehensive YouTube channel. There's so many exercises up there. Like what's it called? Is it called a, a catalog? What's it called? A Different playlists. You, playlists, I've put, that's right. I put different playlists together for different, uh, for want of a better word, uh, primal movements, you know, push, pull, uh, hinge, step yeah. up, squat. It's freaking awesome. Um, so I've, I've been a, an avid fan of yours for quite a few years now. So really excited. So, Anthony, can you give us a little bit about your your background and your your interest, like your, in- I mean, we've got you here today to talk about all things postpartum, Pilates, postpartum exercise. Um, how, how did you get to be interested in, in that? Yeah, it's, uh, it's a funny thing. My whole career, you know, since 1997 really is when I started working as a physio. I've uh, been involved in the, the postpartum sort of area and so antenatal goes along with that as well and then I started teaching antenatal classes for the hospital that I was working at um, the the physiotherapy side of the the exercises and that was fun I enjoyed that as well and you know from there because it's pregnancy and postpartum you get interested in the pelvis so I took training on that and because the pelvis and the thorax are the least most understood or taught areas, I did more training on that. So long story short, I've been doing lots and lots of different things. Um, and Pilates was, I suppose, just something else that came along. My official certs, I think, I might have three of them officially, are with APPI. Uh, uh-huh. But, you know. I've been involved with helping people with Pilates for ages and ages, um, including the stuff that Raf has done. So yeah, it's, uh, I've seen lots of different content from lots of different places and uh, chatted to lots of different Pilates instructors. I I like Pilates. I think if you like it, you do it. And um, I also like heavy lifting and CrossFit. You know, it doesn't really matter to me. Yeah. Yeah, so that's how I ended up in that. This is exciting. I think our uh, listeners are going to be really excited by this topic and this discussion we're going to have today. Mm. So, Anthony, just um, give us a little bit more background uh, quickly, if you would, on what you're up to these days and, and, and how you move through the world. Yep. So I still maintain a clinical load. So I still see people, you know, uh, through the week uh, in Sydney at the moment. Uh, but in the past, before COVID, I was teaching up to 20, 20 weeks of the year around the place. I help health and fitness professionals who struggle 
to help women move to moderate to high intensity activity in their life. So including exercise, um, I help those health and fitness professionals to understand the evidence and understand the principles um, so that they can move forwards with confidence in supporting the people that they're working with. Um, you know, and a lot of that is really trying to break down the very patriarchal, matriarchal, I'm in charge of your body, I'm going to mm -hmm. tell you what to do with your body type attitude and very much more about giving people the uh, information that they need um, so that they can make a decision um, that you can support them no matter what decision that they make because people do things for different reasons. And, mm. yeah, there's so many. Well, if you uncork the bottle, baby, it's coming. <laughs> <laughs> I think we should uncork the bottle during this uh, this episode for sure. <laughs> Would it be an episode of Pilates Elephants if we didn't uncork the bottle? I've got to uncork. Got to uncork. Okay, amazing. Well, how, where do we start with, with the uncorking? Um, well, I think I'd, I'd really like to understand, you know, from your point of view, Anthony, because you deal with uh, health and fitness professionals, and I know that you teach around the world. I mean, I've seen on your Facebook, you know, I see you're in God knows only what part of the world <laughs> from week to week, um, and are teaching your course, The Female Athlete, and... Uh, to to you know to fitness coaches to to CrossFit uh, coaches and to uh, you know physios and personal trainers and whatnot and so you know what are the what are some of the biggest you know myths and misconceptions that you you know people commonly sort of hold dear in this in this area of postpartum Pilates or postpartum exercise in general? Yeah, and I do have a lot of Pilates instructors that come on my courses um, as well. Um, and they're both physios who have done Pilates training as well as Pilates instructors, group instructors, one-on-one mm -hmm. -on -one instructors. Um, and I think some of the biggest myths, um, one of my most fun things to do with Pilates instructors, for example, is to get them to show me an exercise that is either difficult for them because of pain or symptomatic because of pelvic floor symptoms, whatever. Um, and then ask them to do all the wrong things. So I get an idea of their style of training. Do they Are they neutral spine people? Are they flat back people? Are they must breathe a certain way type people? Yeah, and then right. I basically ask them to do the opposite of everything that they've been taught, which freaks them out a lot. And so, then- So sorry, can I just uh, interrupt <laughs> there just for a brilliant. second? Because I think that's that's something really important. So when you say, are they neutral spine people? Are they flat back people? You don't mean like, what is their posture type? Because neutral spine safer or something. What you mean is somebody who believes that neutral spine is safer or somebody who believes that flat spine is the ideal and so they this, this is like their aspirational, you know, or their preference for teaching, or the, the way right. that they've been taught to teach it. Right. Mm. Okay. Yeah. So, so, so you you're you ask them to you know do the move that's painful or symptomatic or fearful or whatever for them, and you just observe to start about okay what's their what's their posture or how do they approach this move, and then you basically go okay well if this person's you know obviously working in a you know op, try to work in a neutral spine I kind of invite them to do it in a flexed spine or an extended spine or something like that. Is that? Yeah, pretty right? much. I ask them to what will happen if they break the rules. And yeah, you know, it's just challenging beliefs yeah. and attitudes, meaning and stories. Um, and, and it's fun. It's really good fun because asking somebody to move, you know, 
there's all sorts of different breathing styles out there, but most Pilates instructors, for example, will will keep breathing through a movement. So asking people to hold their breath uh, freaks them out a little bit. Oh, I love that. I love that, Anthony, because um, it's funny. I've got all these, um, for want of a better word, trigger cues that really like get me twitching. And, um, you know, we've talked about it before, Raph, like tabletop legs, vertebra by vertebra, there's all these like, yeah, you know, I'm just like, why, why bother? Um, But one for me is when an instructor says, remember to breathe. I'm like, say something else or don't say anything at all. Like no one's going to forget to breathe, right? Like it's what keeps you, I'm sorry, but you just, to me, it's just such like, just zip it. Well, zip it is good. I don't have a problem with that. (laughs) I I prefer, I don't have a problem with cueing breathing, for example. I just add more words. And I, the way that I teach um, people who run classes is if you, if you are seeing consistently the same people for whatever reason, they turn up to your class at the Globo gym regularly, or they've got the set booking at the Pilates studio that they go to. um, Like, plan out just little doses of education at the start, maybe set an intention for the session. What are you working on today? Um, Hey, you know, I noticed that you're really good at holding your breath to do that movement. We don't even need to practice that anymore because you're really good at doing that. What if you practiced breathing out while you did that or breathing in while you do that? Or I notice that you always hold your breath after you breathe in. What if you held your breath after you breathed out? Basically establishing what they normally do and then doing something different because things don't change when you keep doing the same thing. And so that's why remember to breathe. There's an assumption there that people are holding their breath, which I'm okay with because you're doing something different. Hey, you're good at holding your breath. How about you also get get good at breathing through the movement too? And then other times it's also, hey, I know that this is hard for you and holding your breath is your body's way of getting to that level. So you've got two choices. Keep holding your breath. It's up to you. Or choose an easier option so that you can keep moving throughout. What do you want your goal to be today? And it's like, you know what? I just want to smash it because I just want to wear myself out so I can have a good night's sleep. It makes me feel a lot less anxious, whereas if I do the easier options, I feel like I haven't got a good workout in. It's like, okay. Mm. So then now they're aware of why they're doing things as opposed to, oh, no, I'm breathing wrong Mm. Um, or I'm doing the wrong thing. Oh, she keeps telling me to breathe. I must be doing Mm. it wrong. And so inoculating Mm. them against that by saying, yeah, you're you're so good at it. We don't even need to practice it that way. Oh, I love right. that, mm. Anthony. What a great way to look at it. Mm. Yeah. So, so when you you know when you ask people to to do their painful movement, um, and then they do it, and they might do it in a certain spinal position, or they might do it with a certain breathing pattern that you notice, and then you just go, okay, well, what would happen if we did the opposite of that, or did something radically different to that? Yeah, I mean, what typically happens? Uh, four things will happen. It'll either be the same, it'll be better, it'll be worse, or it'll be different. Um, so I just plan for all of those contingencies, and then it looks like it looks like I know what I'm doing, but really I, I just roll through the different options that we could do. Um, and people don't people just don't notice because they're paying attention to instruction 
if you know what I mean, or suggestion, or they're thinking, because I'm asking hard questions of them, they don't even notice. And one thing that I tend to say, no matter what the result is, is good. Like that's the first thing that comes out of my mouth because it, how many times when you go somewhere and people are watching you do something and then they pick out, like if we did say an assessment on them and we pick out all the things that are like terrible about their technique, like they've got so much of that in their life already. They get it at work, they get it at home. Why do they need to get that when they're paying to come for fitness, paying to come to do some exercise? Why not just tell them the stuff that they're good at, including, hey, do it this way. Oh, that hurts more. Oh, good. Good? Why is that good? And it's like, well, it's good because we actually made a difference to your symptoms. We now know something that can make it feel more painful. And we know that the current way you do it is painful. So that's actually good to get information about that. And they're like, oh, yeah, I guess that is good. And, I, and if the result is the same, oh, good. Why is it good that they're so different? <laughs> well, because we know that this doesn't actually change much for you. It's another option that makes it feel the same, which could be actually a good option for you. Oh, yeah. It feels better. Good. Well, that's kind of obvious, right? And it's like, oh, it doesn't hurt there anymore, but now I feel pain in my shoulder, whereas it was in my back before. Oh, good. Why is that good? <laughs> It's like, because the brain's deciding to tell you, oh, I'm not so worried about this other thing. Like I'm noticing this other thing. It's good information. So no matter what result comes up, tell them good because it is good to know. And no matter which way they do them, tell them that they're good at doing it that way. Because if you see the same pattern over and over and over, then yeah, they're good at doing it that way. Right? Oh, Anthony, that was brilliant I actually like I looked to I looked to Raph and I both looked at each other in a moment they're just like what like that's just I couldn't love that more in an industry that likes to you know and in, in an industry like Pilates or or the fitness industry which prefer to nitpick I'm not I'm not including us in that Raph and I'm not including our our grads and cohort but if we look at the broader scale and, and you see it on Instagram etc where it's all these crosses the crosses and the ticks you know, and it's like, let's nitpick the shit out of someone. It's got to be a red cross. Has to be a red cross and a green tick. Red cross, green tick. And we just want to nitpick the shit out of human beings and their unique movement and the unique way they do things. It's fucked. And it's, you know, and you've just perfectly shown a way that all of those things, there shouldn't be any bloody red crosses. Instead, it should say good. Good. Yeah, good, 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 good. Can we get T-shirts made? Can we say awesome instead of good? good. You can awesome. say awesome. Awesome. Well, awesome. well, you know, lots of people don't know, but Michael Phelps has a kyphosis. You know, for people that are worried about kyphosis <gasps> and scoliosis. Not kyphosis. Oh, right, my not God. Not kyphosis. So Michael Phelps has a kyphosis. Uh, Usain Bolt has a scoliosis. And the, the guy, the first guy to, was it deadlift or squat? Yeah, five Lamar, times his body Lamar, weight. Yeah, Lamar. Mm-hmm. Lamar. Yeah, scoliosis. Mm-hmm. Hello. We, we love Lamar. We love right? all of those, yeah. all of those peeps. We've spoken about them before in our um, scolia. Did we do a scolia episode? Yeah, we did. We did. Remember. No, we did. We did. <laughs> we did. We did. There is an episode on scoliosis. Correct. Um, oh. So, 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 uh, what I love about what you just said, Anthony, is not only is it empowering for the client because whatever, whatever, whatever they do is is good. 
so that's good. Um, or if they did it with me, it would be awesome. um, Uh, And with me to probably be like, fuck yeah, (laughs) fuck yeah. (laughs) Um, So not only is it empowering for the client, but I think it's hugely empowering for the instructors because I think uh, many instructors, I would even say probably most instructors feel like they need to know the answer and they need that, you know, so they, so then they're looking at this client move and they're like, oh shit, what if I don't know what to do next? You know, what if I don't have the answers? And so if, if the answer is like, well, it's the same answer regardless. <laughs> you don't need to know what the red the red cross is and the green tick is because yeah. they don't exist. And so it's it's all right. So there's four there's four possible. So you look at someone move, doing their provocative movement. You know the movement they're afraid of, or the movement that provokes their pain. Typically, the movement they're weaker in. You know whatever it might be. The basically the reason they've come to see you. Right. Show me do the show me you doing the thing that you've come to see me about. So they do the thing. And then you observe how they do it and they do it with, uh, you know, you'll look for certain sort of things like do they assume a flat back position? Do they assume a neutral position and exaggerate the lordosis? Do they hold their breath? Do they breathe out? Do they purse their lips? Do, you know, what are, the, what are the things that they do? Do they set their scapulae before they move or, you know, whatever whatever, whatever the patterns are, right? That you Whatever their think. preferences for yeah. posture, position or movement are. Right. And then you go, huh, okay. You know, inside your head, you're thinking, okay, I see you doing that thing. And you watch them do it and you're like, oh, that's really good. And then you're like, okay, well, I notice you're really good at setting your scapulae before you move. Okay. Um, So what if we did it a different way and practice getting good at doing it a different way? And so, so what happens? You know, what if we just let your shoulders round forward while you did it or yeah, it really depends on the person, but sometimes I'll ask them what the bad techniques are. Huh. So you ask them what, what they're trying to avoid, basically. Yeah. And that's oh, like gosh, you're do them. tricky. That's brilliant, Anthony. Or, or shall we say Socrates? <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. I love my Socratic reasoning. And, yeah. <laughs> and, all right. And so then you, and you say, okay, so you're really good at setting your scapulae or keeping your pelvis neutral or maintaining a flat back or breathing through the movement or whatever it might be. Ideally, I'd get them to tell me what they're good at. Okay. So, so how would you, how would you pull that out of them? Oh yeah. So they do the thing and say, so tell me what you're trying to do. Coach me because if we're talking about Pilates instructors or Mm -hmm. clients, if they've done it long enough, they'll tell you, oh, okay. Mm. So I'm supposed to lie here. I'm supposed to have a neutral pelvis. And I find that by doing, I don't know, pubic Palpating synthesis and AIS. That, uh, ASAS, yeah, right. pubic synthesis. <laughs> I've got to have a little gap here from a neutral another spine. Trigger for I've got to make sure that everything's in line. Like, and I just get yeah. them to coach me as to right. what they're thinking about. And then that way I don't have to guess. I just, you know, they just tell me what they're doing and what they're trying to do. The, the classic is, you know, you come in and somebody's trying to stand with good posture and you're thinking, mm, okay, um, how do you feel? I, I feel like this is good posture. I'm straight. And this is where I grab their phone and I take a photo of it. And you tell me what you see. And they go, oh my goodness, that doesn't look straight. And I said, but it feels straight, doesn't it? Said, yeah. Mm. It's like, okay, let's talk about that. And then that starts a discussion. But experience before knowledge is is uh, one of the things that I teach. Trying to give people an experience before I tell them why or what. Because when we start telling, when we start dropping knowledge on people, number one, why are we doing that? Is that to look good? Is it to make it look like we know what we're doing? Like, don't they just assume that we know what we're doing? That's why you came and saw me. 
Um, and then secondly, um, telling them even what the research is, telling them a whole bunch of stuff actually biases the rest of your interaction because it colors the interaction that they now know what you want to hear. So ask them stuff before, like get them to teach you. So experience before knowledge. That's what mm-hmm. you said, didn't you? Experience before knowledge, giving them a a, 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 a feeling like a, a real life experience of. Yeah. Instead just- of, instead of me fighting and pointing out all the erroneous information that they have or, Hey, you know, that's just a myth or, Oh my God, not this one again. Like, you know, that's just so untrue or telling them about how, you know, people have disc bulges no matter what age they are and here's the table right. which I keep on my phone. Instead of doing all of that right off the bat. How are you going to give them the experience of the, the disc bulge? Well, just uh, let's uh, how do you how do you, so how do you work like with the the disc bulge one? How would you because that that's that's really so. I mean, we've kind of I want to bring us back to postpartum in a moment, but just yeah. seeing as we're on well, this postpartum women have this, disc bulges. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I mean, a lot of the Pilates stratosphere, a lot of your bread and butter is you say at the beginning of class, you say anything I need to know. Right, and I you get this like multiple show of hands. Oh, I've got a disc bulge. I've got a disc bulge. All right, okay. Tell me a little more. When did that happen? How did it happen? Oh, five years ago. Five years, you know, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So we're thinking, okay, well, you know, sure, there could have been a disc bulge. We're well and true. Whether that was causing pain or not, who knows? Right? What came first, the chicken or the egg? But if we're thinking about tissue healing time. We're hearing, you know, we're pretty sure that's well and truly out of tissue healing time, okay, potentially. Well, you know, disc bulges, like the number of people with asymptomatic disc bulges will just go up over time. So what are we calling healing? Do you mean less symptoms or do you mean restoration of tissue? Great. Well, well, exactly. But if we want to talk about disc bulges. I I guess what I'm saying is, what Mm. I'm saying is, as, a, as an instructor, you know, I'm hearing those things. I'm hearing, look, you know, in my head I'm thinking, okay, for whatever reason, amped up, nervous system, etc. you know, sensitivity, ongoing sensitivity. We're talking about some persisting pain here. I prefer, I try not to say chronic so much, but we know that that's the, that's, you know, that's sure. the common lexicon. But, you know, so there's persisting pain. So... We've got all these factoids. We know that there are, you know, if we did, if we scanned everyone that was in the room right now, no doubt there'd be all sorts of stuff that would come up on on our scan in regards to our spine, et cetera, that, you know, we're sitting here asymptomatic, perfectly pain-free. How do you approach that person then when we're thinking about, you know, coming in with the experience prior to the the education, the knowledge, right? Mm-hmm. How, how would you approach that? scenario. Do you, do you mind if I role play it with you? Let's do all, it. Yeah. No, not at all. I was hoping that we could give some help to the instructors that are sure. listening right now who day in, day out have the client mm-hmm. that puts their hands up, says, I've got the disc bulge. The disc yes. bulge has happened, you know, yes. 18 months plus. How do you do experience before knowledge? Yes, that's, that's what I want to do. Let's go there. Cool. It's the same process, right? <laughs> okay. So... Uh, what did, let's just say it's a physio, I'll throw my profession under the bus. Um, uh-huh. 
let's just say it's a physio. What did the physio say you can't do because of your disc bulge, Chloe? The physios told me I can't do any loaded flexion. Any loaded flexion. Okay. Why is that? Uh, Because they said that I will re-injure myself, cause myself more injury if I do that. Okay. Okay. How do you know when you injure yourself, Chloe? I'm just, I'm just, I'm making this up on it. Like, this is not Chloe speaking. This is role play Chloe, just to be oh, clear. Just would in you case like I me get to call freaking... you your, your stage name, Charlotte? <laughs> yes, please. Can you call me my stage name? Because if I get quoted on this, it could all get really, really <laughs> weird. Charlotte. Yeah, because it's not full weird already. Okay, <laughs> Charlotte. So. <laughs> it's so weird. It's going downhill. Yes. Yes, Charlotte, I am Charlotte. Sorry, Charlotte. Charlie, um, you can call me Charlie. Char- I only get Charlotte when I'm in trouble. So Charlie's okay. fine. Charlie, Charlie, um, <laughs> tell, me about, awesome. tell me about um, how do you know when you get injured, Charlie? <laughs> um, I get like really sharp pain, really sharp okay. pain. Okay. All right. So um, can you do, can you bend over, when you bend over to pick something up, how should mm-hmm. you do that, please? Um, I bend my knees and sort of squat down to do it. Mm-hmm. And what do you do with your back? Um, I try and keep it neutral. Okay, cool. Because because the phys- is bad. That's what the physio said that I need to be. I need to be mindful of. Yes. Oh, that's fair enough. So we try yeah. to keep a neutral spine and bend over. Okay. So one of the exercises that we're doing today, especially in our warm up, is we're going to be doing some roll downs, just standing roll down. So everybody, because we're in a class situation. Yeah. Do a do a roll down. Look, there's five out of eight of you have got a disc bulge that we're taking care of today. So let's do let's start with a roll down. How did you feel? How did you feel? How did you feel? How did you go, Charlie? How did that feel? Uh I was a little I was a little uh afraid to do it. Um but yeah, it felt okay. Okay. Do you think that's supposed to happen when you bend over like that, not keeping your spine neutral? But are you sure it's safe that I can do it? Now, what's safe? Do you cross the road? Is it safe to cross the road? I don't know. I understand why you. I, I understand why you're fearful, though. So, what do you do? How do you brush your teeth then? If you brush your teeth, Charlie, because we know, you know, from your personal hygiene, just looking at you. I do like to brush my teeth. What do you mean? How do I brush my teeth? Standing. <laughs> I don't overthink it though. So it's a, a, like I just yeah. grab my toothbrush, pop my toothpaste on. Uh, uh, yeah, for the most time, I'm actually swiping the cat away who sits on the Oh, on I the thought you were bench. swiping left or right while you were brushing your teeth. <laughs> Chloe. Not a bad I mean, idea. Charlie, Maybe Charlie. a better use of my time. Yes, Anthony? Um, so, yes. So there's things like that, right? And then we go do harder exercises. But if we use the anchoring effect of getting them to do something really, really difficult, um, it may not even involve spinal flexion, but then we revisit that. Again, I've I've got a response. Well, I've got good for no matter what the response is. Um, You know, giving people the experience and then asking the challenging question, is that what's supposed to happen? Or does that make sense? Hold on, I thought you said that it was painful when you bend over, not in your neutral mm. spine. Uh, mm. like, yeah, hold on, that doesn't hurt anymore. Mm. Um, so, it, what if the, it did? What if it did hurt? So, what if I did? Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, I like. What if it did? Hurt? Like, what if I did get it hurts this? A because lot. there's something. It because hurts. if lots of people hurt. 
So lots of people hurt. So let's just say it bends over. It's the same. Oh, good. We know. We know that that hurts. So if it doesn't hurt, is that an improvement or is that getting worse? Uh, And so most people are reasonable and say that that would be an improvement if it didn't hurt and I bent like that. And then for me, in my head, I'm like, challenge accepted. Um, (laughs) And and then it becomes, tell me how you're bending over. And it's often involving some sort of core cue, some sort of breathing strategy, some sort of do or don't do this, stripping it all away. And the very best thing that I prefer to do, particularly if they've got some movement background or they're a coach or an instructor, is to say, okay, well, then round your back and make it not hurt then. Bend over and make it not hurt and just okay. let them go explore instead gonna... of being told what way is the right way to bend over Thank... without pain. Bingo. So that's that's what I'm that's what I'm getting from that, and that's what I got from the interaction of being Charlie uh, was collaboration. So, a I'm feeling heard. You're not dismissing me. You are working in conjunction with me, right? You're touching base with me. You're asking me my experience of it. Yeah, freaking love that. That was awesome. But not only that, giving you the permission to find your solution and then encouraging you and affirming that, hey, that's working for you today. It may not work tomorrow. Yeah. But you know the process now. Yeah. So you're building my self-efficacy and we know how important self-efficacy is. It's almost like it's helpful or something. I love it. I love it. Okay. I reckon we need to pivot back to um, some juicy postpartum Pilates stuff. Pilates chat. Mm. And Raph, have you got a. Yeah. Well, I'd like to double click on something here, but I think we can transpose it into the, into the postpartum realm. Okay. So. Uh, love a double click. What I, what I picked up there in addition to everything that you guys have already talked about, which we don't need to go over again, but is, is. Uh, Anthony, when you were doing the role play and, and Chloe said, Charlie, oh, sorry, Charlie said, uh, sorry, Charlie, uh, Charlie said, oh, you know, I'm, I'm not supposed to bend. Right. Mm-hmm. And then pretty much after you said, you know, why is that, etc. pretty much the next thing you said is like, okay, we're going to bend now. Mm-hmm. Um, and you said in a real, you know, matter of fact way and you normalized it by saying, okay, there's a bunch of people in the room here today who've got the same Issues. Mm, that I'm, was good. You know, I, I, this is I'm doing this on purpose here, um, and we're going to bend now, and and so yeah, and and so how would that? How might that? Let's first let's transpose that you know to a different key, and let's talk about how that might look in a say a, a postpartum situation where maybe people are coming in with with a, an abdominal separation or maybe they have got pelvic pain or something, and the, there's some, prolapse, incontinence. Yeah. Right, okay. And so, what would be a typical mm. situation that you would see? You know super common thing that you would see there that people would come in with? I think if I could just summarize a whole bunch of things that I see and hear a lot of, um, I think it's, it's about being a small target, right? Number one, I just assume positive intent from everybody. Like I don't think anybody gets into teaching classes or being a physio or an EP or any of the professions that we're in. I don't think anybody goes in there for themselves and to hurt other people right? Mm. So I think let's just assume that everybody's trying to keep their clients safe. 
They're trying to do the very best for them. Mm. And that is my baseline assumption right off the bat. I don't care if you disagree 100% with me. I still assume that you, you're disagreeing with me because you want the best for your clients, um, which is great. I love it when people disagree with me. Um, so I, let's just start with that. That's number one. Number two, because of that, because we, you see, we can either be towards motivated, focusing on the goal and, and progressing towards that with somebody, or we could always be looking behind, fearful of what might be coming to get us. I know which way I prefer to live, right? Fear-based fear, fear motivation only takes you so far. It's a towards goal motivation that tends to get people towards their goal, funnily enough. Um, and so let's start with that attitude instead of, oh, if I don't, if I see any movement in that midline where your diastasis is, that's it, we're stopping that. Um, it, it really comes down to the attitude of how do we see postpartum women? And instead mm. of seeing women as being strong, capable, adaptable, and resilient, we see women as being weak and needing protection and, mm. um, you know, fragile. You know, if you move the wrong way, you're going to fall apart and you won't be able to take care of your family. Your pelvis is going to rip open. Mm. Your stomach contents will just spill out all over the studio floor if we don't watch that diastasis doming, um, which I don't know about you, but that doesn't feel particularly empowering and it kind of goes against my feminist sentiments. So why don't we just start with assuming that women are awesome and you just birth the baby, whether it's a belly birth or a vaginal birth, you just birth the baby mm. and you're recovering from that. However many years ago, who cares? It doesn't matter. You've done this amazing thing that I'll never go through. I can only ever watch and support. Um, and I think that that's awesome. So, yeah, if you could do all of that, right, if, if the core is so important to hold you up and let you do the things that you got to do, then how is it that you can deliver an eight-pound baby, let's say it's eight pounds, and then most women will get up and walk at some stage in the next 24 hours, mm. how important is the core then if they can actually do locomotion, right? How important is the core? And then people are going to say, oh, yeah, but they're compensating and they're limping and they're, isn't the body awesome? She's strong enough to adapt mm. to the fact that all that tension is now gone. Got a lot of weight from the uterus being really big because, I don't know, it held a baby. And then she's still able to coordinate everything and walk. I think that's amazing. You know, wow. why, don't we, why don't we see women as awesome? Why do we have to see them as weak and fragile? Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes wrapped they have in cotton wool. Yeah. And you know what? If you want to be wrapped in cotton wool, at least do it with the knowledge that that's your preference to do it, not because that's the only option that I can see mm. you as. Mm. That's mm. right. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with, you know, in certain cultures that the mother is taken care of for six weeks, 40 days, 42 days, it's different in di different places around the world. I have no problem with that at all. I'm not saying to abandon that. Um, but yeah, when we're in a class situation and we're choosing the easiest options and then the next thing, uh, getting back to, to Raf's question is uh, you've got to qualify on this 
level before I'm going to allow you to do the next level exercise. Like we're back into telling people what to do. Um, do you need to qualify? Like you walked in the room, let's face it. Anyone who's got kids runs around like a maniac to get the kids taken care of so that you can go lie down and do your bent knee slide, you know, bent knee fallouts <laughs> and your leg slides. And I can only do deep breathing because I can't yes. coordinate my core correctly. Yeah. And then I can only ever do modified hundreds always with one foot on the floor so that I can control my pelvis and only move one leg up and down at the time. And if I do any crunches, it's only a head lift because heaven forbid, I actually use my abdominal muscles to do anything. Um, and let's just keep you there for six to eight months until, you know, we say that you're okay now to progress. So I'm doing these easy exercises. The hour is up. I've had a wonderful lie down. I've enjoyed the social time <laughs> and I get up and I run down the stairs because I'm going to get fined if I don't get, if I don't get my kids from the preschool in time. And I run around and I'm lugging the baby in one hand, trying to grab the, the four-year-old who's trying to run away because he wants to see what's across the road while I'm carrying a bag over my shoulder because my core is inadequate. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Right? That's just ridiculousness as far as I'm concerned. Not to mention as you got up from lying there doing your bent knee fallouts, you probably did full spinal flexion and essentially a sit-up. Well, if you did a log roll and still got up off the floor... <laughs> The research shows that getting up off a floor is more pressure on your pelvic floor, intra-abdominal pressure, basically, intravaginal pressure, than doing crunches, sit-ups, all sorts of stuff. Like getting up wow. and down off the floor, getting onto the floor to do your gentle mat exercises is more pressure than any of the exercises <laughs> you can do on the floor. So, yeah, no. Like at least read the research if you're going to say something about that. Uh, oh wow! So, on average, right? So I think that's a great time for us to take a break. Awesome. While Chloe's ducked out to make a coffee, I just want to quickly mention that if you've got questions, if you've got things floating around your head, question marks, maybe somebody said something at work, and you're like, not really clear on what that means, but I'm kind of not confident to ask because I don't want to look kind of foolish in front of people. Well, come ask me, and um. You won't look foolish. You'll be a hero for asking awesome questions. And even the questions that you think are like, maybe that's a really stupid question, those are the questions you get the biggest gold stars for asking. So come ask me. We've got a weekly Q&A. It's live. It's called Stop Faking It and Really Know Your Stuff. There's always a bunch of great people online. There's a, always a great conversation. And uh, you leave you know, wiser, empowered, and uh, feeling a sense of solidarity with like-minded folk. So love to see you. Welcome back. Yeah. So before the break, we were talking about essentially like feminist Pilates, mm -hmm. you know, treating women as freaking awesome, strong, resilient, resourceful movement systems that can just figure out how to walk 24 hours after having a cesarean section. Um, and so now, you know, when you mentioned, you know, Actually, Pretty Raph, much. can I just interrupt for one second? Just something that's very we, – we, we are saying women, 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 women. Because I of postpartum Pilates. Correct. However, non-gender uh, conforming folk can also have babies. So I do want to put that out there. Uh, Shaman has been bringing a lot of awareness um, to yep. my realm on that. Um, and it just, it just really clearly popped into my head, um, yeah, that I just wanted to – 
to say that too. Shout Very out, good. Shaman, for bringing for bringing awareness. Yeah, people people who have people who are postpartum. Yes. Mm. Yeah. All right. And so, what are the? I guess you you mentioned like almost a a, a whole laundry list there of things that. Pilates instructors and, and physios and personal trainers, et cetera, and EPs, you know, tell people that they shouldn't do postpartum mm. um, because they're dangerous, you know, so, you know, doing crunches, you know, doing loaded movements. Running. Um, yeah. So so what are some of those things on that list, Anthony? And, and yeah, can we dive into some of those? Sure. We can dive into any of them. Yeah. Um, I, I think if we just pick up the thread of, um, you know, towards like a, a, a towards motivation instead of a fear-based motivation, if we, if we look at that mindset, if we look at the mindset of always having to have the answers for people, um, that's what causes burnout, right? Because people go home and think about the people that they're concerned about fixing and they don't know what to do with them. Um, that's, our job is to be a trusted consultant, not to be their guru, but to be their guide. Um, and, and I know there are going to be people that are like a true guru is a guide. I get it. The thing is, is that the way that guru is used these days in the West is the person that is all knowing. I get it. The thing is, is that if we take on that role of being the fixer of being the problem solver, that puts tons of pressure on us mm. And it takes away their agency. Um, like, how can we say that we're empowering people if we keep taking away the ability, their self-efficacy, their ability to decide what goes on in their life? So that's number one. Number two is that um, if we're going to be towards motivated, then the things that concern us, they have certain common themes and so in the pelvic health world, I think one of the themes that would be fair to summarize as is that most of us are concerned about excessive amounts of intra-abdominal pressure. Now, one of the things that I do love is that what if, what if a diastasis is the body's natural way of not only helping you grow a baby, but offloading your pelvic floor? See, because physics still applies and if you increase the volume of the abdominal cavity that decreases the pressure and if you're going to uh change you, you're going to have to generate pressure to do things right this is just normal um if you're going to generate pressure the pressure loves going through the area that that uh has the most amount of compliance that that will move the most what if your diastasis moving means that you offload that pressure on the pelvic floor. What if when you cough or sneeze, your abdomen, which distends and stretches, might actually be helping the pelvic floor not take that? And there's some so, indications right. so in the research about this, this. This is this is a real, this is a brain exploding emoji moment. Um, and so I'd, I want to go back and double click on this because I was just about to ask you, before you, you hit us with that, uh, diastasis being like the pressure valve to let off let off the intra-abdominal pressure and, and offload the pelvic floor. I was just about to ask you, because you had just said something al along the lines of let's have a towards motivation, let's focus on 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 
you know, what we want to do and moving towards that rather than focusing on what's running behind us. Mm. And I think that a lot of people's response to that would be, well, that's all well and good, but what if I injure my client? Sure. You know? and, and and it's all very well being, you know, positive and optimistic and glass half full and all of that kind of stuff. But mm. if you've got a, and I'm putting air quotes around this, injury in your, in your, you know, in, in an abdo- in the form of an abdominal separation, and then you're, you know, loading that, you mm. know, that's, you know, that's all very well being optimistic, but that's not going to change the fact that you're injuring somebody. And, and, and so, <laughs> and so what I love about the next bit of what you said is like, huh, well, maybe, you know, maybe that's not an injury. Maybe that's an, an effective compensation to offload the pelvic floor because as you, you know, like as you move, you pressurize your abdomen and that is what, yeah, that's, that's basically one of the core functions of no pun intended, your core, you know, your <laughs> diaphragm, your pelvic floor, your transversus abdominis, they, they form a cylinder around your abdomen or pelvic cavity. And you, when you, when you move, when you exhale and when you, uh, you know, hold your breath, uh, you, you pressurize that cavity. And so if you have a diastasis that allows a greater compliance or sort of stretchy bullness of, of that, the cylinder is more, it's like a balloon that blows up bigger. Mm-hmm. Right. So increased volume inverse yeah. inversely correlated with Boyle's law from year eight chemistry. Mm-hmm. And that's only for gases, but there is gas in the abdomen. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I've been talking to some researchers about how to differentiate the two. But it's been wow. Fun. So so maybe, you know, by by now, by by that logic, right? Maybe by telling our clients not to dome. By telling our clients to 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 keep their separation narrowed at all times, maybe we're actually not doing something helpful. Maybe we're potentially doing something injurious to them. That's definitely a maybe. Okay, definitely a maybe. Um, and where I was going with the towards motivation is if increased intra-abdominal pressure is something that we're concerned about we can monitor that at the abdomen but also at the pelvic floor level because you can ask and teach people how to monitor for perineal descent basically are they pushing their pelvic floor down and out between their sit bones um because really that's how you're going to know now there are going to be some people that will do a head lift and you will see well, I won't see because I don't do it, but you will, they will, a pelvic floor physios will tell me that they can see somebody's prolapse coming through. Okay. I understand that. Not going to be for that person, right? I'm not going to get them doing all of that stuff. But how, why do we, just because one person, a few people, 5% of people, 10% of people have that, why are we now saying that 100% of people? can't do something like when you look at the research on the Mm. pressures you know the 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 research on the pressures is pretty clear that there's a wide range of pressures there are people that will go negative pressure so negative pressure on a curl up and there are people that will produce as much pressure as they might on a cough right how you do Mm. an exercise matters much 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 more than the exercise that you're doing 
So look at their preferences and look at what they're doing. Now, if we're going to be speaking about diastasis, well, let's have a think about that for a second. If we see doming or midline tenting or linear alba bulging or, you know, doming, whichever word you want to use, toberoning, um, at what point is it going to be excessive? Now, to me, everybody can pull their finger back and you can feel at the joint where it gets firmer and you can feel the tendon get tighter. But most people won't pull to the point that they're going to hurt themselves. So to me, it, the linear alba and, you know, the posterior rectus sheath and all the other stuff, right? I tend to not talk about all the nerdy stuff. If that is not under massive amounts of pressure, then you shouldn't see wrinkling. You shouldn't be able to push on the midline and have it deform to your finger pressure. Because how can we say that that's, if, if finger pressure pushing down is enough to tear the linear alba, then I understand. It's just that pushing down from the outside is, is just not going to do it usually. And so if you think somebody's got excessive amounts of pressure because you see a blip or a movement in their linear alba, and you can push that blip down. You can literally curve the tissue down. We can watch it on real-time ultrasound. Exactly how is that overstretching something? Do you know what I mean? And tension's uh. tension. Like think in 3D. Let's not think in 2D. Let's think in 3D. Why does tension have to be in a flat line? And we're okay with that amount of tension. You're going to tense it. We're going to pull it sideways. Transverse abdominus pulls outwards. Uh -huh. And then we say, don't widen your diastasis or don't, don't over-tense your tissue, but let's get transversus abdominis <laughs> to tense the tissue as hard as we can. There's that. Right. And then Anthony, with that, just explain, because I think that's really pertinent. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of uh, instructors who don't understand that and are still giving the you've just got to do the transversus abdominis um, activation exercises if you've got any separation, but they're not understanding that it's that's <laughs> it's pulling the, reason, the IRD further apart. Which I don't have a problem with, by the way. I don't have a problem with that. But people think that the transverse abdominis pulls it together. There are Correct. no muscles in the body that cross the midline and that will narrow it. The closest you're going to get is rectus abdominis, which sits in a relaxed curved shape in mm -hmm. most women because i don't know they had a baby there and then when you contract <laughs> rectus all of those bits shorten and they straighten right. out so why not you know why not make rectus as strong as possible why not uh, use rectus i could do abdominis? some ab curls hey why not do ab curls and then involve all the different muscles mm -hmm. like an orchestra or a symphony instead of a solo act of transverses playing a piccolo at the quietest level so that only those standing right next to it can hear the music instead of the person in the back row. Like, right. So you the, know what I mean? Awesome. The, I think, you know, like you alluded to and Chloe, like you picked up as well, the, the basic, I think the, the problem here with, with that leads a lot of instructors to just kind of, you know, reel off a cure for transverse, transversus abdominis as soon as they hear, hear that someone's got a diastasis is it, it they lack understanding like they aren't able to visualize the basic anatomy of of the area 
And the fact that, you know, okay, the linear elbow, which is the linear means line, elbow means white. So it's just the white line of fascia that goes up the middle in between your, the two halves of your rectus abdominis. That's your six-pack muscle. So right down the middle um, of your belly. Um, and that is in diastasis rectus. Um, that is what uh, stretches. It, it, it widens. And, uh, and, and the transversus abdominis wraps horizontally and in, it's it, the right and left transverse abdominis insert into that kind of sheath of, of fascia that wraps the, rect, the rectus abdominis and then inserts into the linear elbow. And so the, the two halves of the transverse abdominis, when you contract them, naturally pull the linear elbow apart. Yep. And Which so, I think is helpful because tension is mm. the thing that I think helps with thickening up the linear elbow and, and right. just making everything stronger anyway. Right. You don't have to think about it. Right, <laughs> but 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 I think there there's that basic misunderstanding of the of the the anatomy that people have. They think that somehow transverse abdominis is magically going to narrow the interrecti distance, the distance between the two halves. No, in fact, it's the opposite. Well, and the research confirmed that too. Yeah, um, yeah, mm. yeah, more mm. than just once too. Mm. And and I love what your what you said next, which was basically like, well, how do we know that that you know widening the separation during a movement is a bad thing? Yeah. Mm. How do we know? And but not only just don't. widening the separation, it's also um, it's also uh, doming, mm. bulging. Like if tension is tension, then why not? If you want a thicker, if you want thicker mm. tissues, you have to load them. Why not allow a bit of a bulge? I, mm. I I like to think of it as a hard dome or a soft dome. If you've got a hard dome, let's just say you're doing I don't know preparation for teaser. And it's already freaking people out that I'd do teaser with people postpartum, but you know, whatever. Um, Bam, I love it. And then, and I love that Anthony knows what teaser is too. <laughs> I am Pilates trained. I, <laughs> um, I think I forget that a lot, Anthony. <laughs> I'm so impressed. <laughs> no problem. Um, and so let's just say we're going to do that, or you're going to do, um, you know, something on the reformer. Uh, I'm not reformer trained as much. So I think uh, like a like a leg pull prone uh, or what's the one where you stand and then you push your legs out and you go into a into a, like a plank with your Long hands. stretch. Long stretch, right? Let's just say we're going to do that. Now, some people are going to do that. And when you push on their linear elbow, it's going to feel like it's going to feel like a muscle that is really, really hard. And when you push on it, it won't budge. Kind of like when you squeeze... Raf's glutes, you know, like, and he's contracting the glutes. They don't go anywhere. They're rock hard and firm. Um, and so if I feel that through the midline, then yeah, I'll probably say, you know, you're doing really well. Um, and it's fantastic. You can do that. Uh, however, how about we try a slightly easier version because it just feels like we're closer to the line now for technical talk. Elastic deformation, I don't have a problem with. You know, you stretch it, it comes back. Plastic deformation is where you change the structure. That's a tear. I want uh-huh. to stay away from plastic deformation where we injure people. So we just stick a little bit lower down the, the stress-strain curve in, in the elastic zone where it's going to recover. So we've so got to saying, still load it. I shouldn't squeeze my glutes quite so hard when you're 
about to squeeze. That's it. what you. That's what you took from that, Raf. Yeah. That is not the question I was going to ask, Anthony. The question was. Well, <laughs> if somebody's going to squeeze your glutes, you want to think about what is appropriate at that time, and if you want them to feel the firmness, or if you want them to feel the relaxation. Okay. Um, Anthony, what I just want to zoom in on there for a moment is because you've kind of just brought up this. Um, Elasticity or plasticity, I think. Were they the two different terms? Uh, Elastic and deformation and plastic deformation. Awesome. My, I'm feeling like our listeners, our Pilates instructors are potentially going, oh, oh, okay, so shit, there is something I need to be, like I could hurt my client here and how am I going to know not to? Yeah. Hard doming, soft doming. If you can push in, if you can push into the linear alba and it's not rock hard, but they've got a gap there and you can push that bulge that has popped up. You can push it back in easily. Then yeah. How are you stretching excessively? Okay. I'm totally with you here. However, I'm thinking I'm again, just putting my cap on. I'm thinking the, the instructor, this is a group setting. The instructor, as a general rule of thumb, instructors who aren't physios, instructors okay. really shouldn't be pushing their fingers into no, but why can't People's the clients do it? Do you right, remember okay. I said at the start, Whilst set they're the doing intention. Their, now they're now doing a one arm, one arm long stretch. Just, yeah, just, on their yeah. knees. Okay, cool. Okay, I'm with you. Okay. You know okay, what I mean? Cool. Just want to, I just really want to like kind of problem solve that a little so that the those that are listening are thinking, aha, that's what I do there, right? They've, they've, yeah. yeah, yeah. Cool. Great. Yeah, and, and like, I mean, the principle being that if if tissue is under excessive load, so much load that you could damage them, a tissue is going to be hard, right? right? It's going to be firm. It won't be soft and squidgy. Um, do you know what I mean? But the, like, the reverse isn't true. It isn't necessarily the case that if a tissue is hard, you're going to damage it. Correct, correct. It doesn't, it's no guarantee that you're going to damage it. It's just that if, if we are being general and it's difficult to do an individualized assessment and it's difficult to put your hands on because it's outside of scope, then one of the easiest things to do, like for example, asking someone to lie down, lift up their head, they see, or they might even tell you, look, look, when I do this, I get a sausage roll. Okay, cool. Can you push it? And they can push and they can push their fingers in. Right. It's like, yeah, that's cool because the amount of pressure that they're generating is not excessive. Now, it may be on the 8th, 10th, 15th rep, your Pilates instructors, you might like to go to 20. Like, that's just way too much cardio for me. Um, it, it might be, yeah, no, it's getting harder and harder. And it's like, yeah, well, how about we just say that when it gets to this level, that you just have a rest and then you go again. Right. Because we we need load. We need, it's a said principle. Mm. S&C doesn't just go away because you're postpartum, like a strength and conditioning principle. So specific adaptations to impose demands. And we know that if you're going to load things, you're going to need to load them at least 60 to 70% to get that strength change more than just a neurological change. Sure, you can get hypertrophy as low as 40%, Hypertrophy is good for the rectus because I think it will puff up the rectus muscle and it'll, you know, take up room and increase tension around the sheaths, which will then tension on the linear alba. 
have no problem with that. But why not take people to relative fatigue? Let's give them one or two, even three reps left in the tank. Let them rest. Let them go again. It's how people get stronger. It's mm. almost like people in gyms around the world are doing this every day. Yeah. So, all right. So, I want to hit you with a, you know, kind of like, I mean, you kind of already articulated this this point, but it, it's kind of in opposition to the, the point you made previously. Bring it. Which is that, okay, so if we if we have hard doming where the, where the linear alba, you know, the fascia, the, the, essentially the tendon that goes down the middle of the rectus abdominis is is under pressure, you know, they've got pressure inside the abdomen pushing it out and it's so much pressure that the, the, the linear alba is hard. All right, well, those are conditions under which it is possible that you could overstretch that, you know, overstretch it as in stretch it so far that it's not going to, bounce back to its original shape once you take yes. the pressure off right um and here's the second point like you said with the the said principles specific um adaptations to impose demands like you know what if you want the linear alba to become more uh to to become stronger you've got to apply attention to it <laughs> and yeah. you've got to and and not only you've got to apply attention you've got to apply enough tension to it, yes. So there's this this there's this window. I don't know if it's a narrow window. I was going to say narrow, but maybe it's not a narrow window. There's this there's this window of you have to apply enough tension to stimulate, you know, laying down of additional collagen fibers within that tissue and and realignment of the existing collagen Sufficient fibers. Sufficient rest, nutrition, load, all of that direction, stuff, right? movement, yep. and and you've got to a- apply not too much tension, yep. so that you actually cause disruption of those fibers. Yep. Right, and so you know, you've proposed kind of a rule of thumb assessment, which is like, AFK, if you can't push it back in easily with one hand, that's too much force. Well, I'd I'd kind of challenge you on that a little bit and go, well, you know, if that was my Achilles tendon, and I was doing you know calf raises, like I challenge you to push my Achilles tendon in, you know, with one hand, <laughs> you know, so like the, the these these structures are designed to take huge amounts of force. Your Achilles tendon is definitely designed to take huge amounts of force. Your linear alba is designed to take a lot of force as well. I still have to be relatively responsible in the advice that I provide people mm-hmm. and the education that I provide in that if it's hard domey, they may be 100% okay to go. As a rule of thumb, it's, it's just going to be an easy applicable thing for people, whether they're health or fitness professionals, to be able to guide them more confidently because the status quo at the moment, Raf, is that people see any movement in the midline and mm-hmm. they're saying it's too much. Yep, so even 100%. my con- even my conservative, and I know you that's what you said, that's what you're telling me. You're telling me that it's conservative because structures can take a lot. Mm. I'm saying even my conservative recommendation of feeling for hard doming versus soft doming is still a massive step for people to confidently mm. take, which is why I'm massive. okay with it. Yeah. I, so, Anthony, I, I mean, I, I, gosh, I've, the amount of bullshit I've seen around all of this in the, in the many uh, years of uh, teaching is, is ginormous. But one of the things that um, probably 
pissed me off the most uh, was uh, I had a, a client, um, this client didn't piss me off, the client was fantastic, but I had this consistent client that used to come to my group reformer classes um, and she was awesome. I th- I'm going to say her youngest was kind of maybe two plus years. So like, well, you know, at least two, maybe older, maybe like four. Anyway, she was super fit, super fit woman, um, did all the things, never said, I'm not going to do the thing or had any fear about the thing. Nothing. Right. Um, never mentioned to me that she had a dram because I mean, why should she doesn't need to mention it to me? Do you know what I mean? Like, it's just go about your, go about your day. Right. Um, anyway, I hadn't seen, I noticed that I hadn't seen her in class for quite a while. You know, she was a regular. I'd normally see her three plus times a week. And this was like maybe like a month or so. And I'm thinking, oh, she must have gone away or something. Anyway, I was sat downstairs, you know, having a coffee and she was there. I'm like, oh my God, hi, I haven't seen you for so long. What's, you know, what's been happening? She's like, oh, look, can we have a chat? And I'm like, sure. And she said, um, the reason I haven't been is I was in a class with another instructor and we were doing the hundred and in the middle of class in front of everyone, this other instructor went, stop, you've got doming, you've got doming, you've got doming, that's dangerous, you've got doming and made her stop and sit off, like literally sit up and come off to the side of the reformer in front of the entire class. After that class, she was then sold this particular instructor's app, this app was all about transversus abdominis engagement, nothing else, nothing else. She was told that she can't do anything else. She just had to do these exercises on this app. She went away and she stopped. She stopped running. She stopped going to Pilates, which she freaking loved. And she bloody lay on her back doing these freaking breathing transfer like like I I honestly I teared up at this and she looked at me and she goes I've got a feeling that was wasn't right and I said oh I'm I just looked at and I just said I'm sorry I said I'm so fucking furious right now with that instructor like I I've actually got steam she said oh please don't because I was like I would like to talk to this instructor and she's like, oh, no, 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 no. Like, it's going to start. And I'm like, that's, I will respect, but you've told me, your, thank you for sharing this with me. I won't confront this instructor, even though I, like, I've rarely been this angry in my adult life that this is, and she, she said, I'm coming back to class tomorrow. She came back to class. She did all the things. She was in the full hundred with the legs as long as possible. She was in jail. And I was like, fuck yes, go you. She's like, oh my God, it feels so good to be back. And I'm like, how dare that instructor do that and and Anthony and I'll zoom back out and I'll go right cool okay I get that we're gonna hope that everyone comes at it with you know good intent and that this particular instructor whatever reason genuinely thought that this teeny weeny little bit of doming for this person who was like two plus years postpartum (laughs) you know was dangerous but that's actually like that's causing harm yeah that's stopping that person from exercising. And I'm going to hold physios in particular responsible for this because we were the ones that brought up mm. transversus and the core. Mm. And, and honestly, it could have been the great saviour. Unfortunately, mm. two decades later, we now know that it wasn't. And we knew before then, right? So, we knew in 2006. Yeah. So... Uh, 
you know, and, and the narrative changed from the researchers somewhat, but the, the people that, listen, it's the hardest thing to do to change somebody's beliefs. Um, and so confirmation bias will just mean that you seek out the information that you prefer and disconfirming beliefs are very, very threatening. Uh, it, it's, mm. I watch people go through an existential crisis on my courses all the time. <laughs> I and can imagine. Because it, it needs to be done <laughs> we in see a that. safe and supportive <laughs> way, right? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I agree. And I'm sure that instructor had the very best of intentions. But it kind of shits me a little that they went on to like, hey, I'm going to pull you off the reformer and here I'm going to make you buy my... There's nothing like it, public but, shaming, anyway. right? There's nothing like public shaming to mm. to really empower somebody. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, uh, but anyway, if we work by the uh, principles, yeah. if we work by the principles, if we if we have people moving towards their goals, and and I think the the important thing that we haven't mentioned yet Mm -hmm. is that most people have a problem with it, with diastasis. Not everybody, but most mm. people have a problem with how it looks, and it's important to acknowledge that. Ah, it's yes, important we to acknowledge there. the aesthetics of it all, mm -hmm. and it's important yeah. to acknowledge that it's okay for that to be a goal, but yeah. yet a lot of people feel shamed to do that, and that is why the narrative of a diastasis will make your will give you prolapse, incontinence, back pain, pelvic pain, mm. your core Which is unstable. Which it won't. Which it won't. Yes. So all of those things go into the mix and it might be easier to say that this is the reason why I want to fix my diastasis or right. to have an abdominoplasty or to, do, do you know what I mean? Like sometimes people know and they still want to hide their shame at having an aesthetic goal. Yeah, um, and I think that's a really, really important point and I'm glad you brought it up. And I think we also have to acknowledge that exercise has not been shown to resolve diastasis and that, that we can't promise people that we can we can resolve that for them with any form of exercise. Well, what metric are we using too, right? Like, well, is it the gap size? Is it the tension size? Is it the ability to lift a certain weight? Is it an ability to perform a certain movement or exercise? It depends uh, on what metric that we're looking at. Well, I'm just going by that 2017 Surgeon General's report, which I'm sure you've read, which which uh, found that I think from memory, something like 85% of people were dissatisfied with the outcome of their exercise-based um, treatment for diastasis and that... Uh, you know, there's there's not great evidence for surgery, but it's slightly better than the evidence for exercise in terms of if people come with truly a, a cosmetic concern, which is a, a valid concern, mm -hmm. I think, uh, you know, it's beholden on us as exercise professionals to point out that like, okay, well, we can increase your function, we can increase your strength, we can give you confidence to do your activities of daily living, but I can't promise we can get rid of that diastasis. And you might want to go talk to a surgeon if that's a really important priority for you. There's an important assumption to point out here, and that assumption is we're assuming the diastasis is the reason that the cosmetic appearance of their tummy is the way that it is. It may not actually be the diastasis. It could be stretching of the posterior rectus sheath or the sheath around transversus even. Um, it, it could be any of those things. And the other thing is, is that people seem to get upset, you know, particularly with postpartum Pilates, of 
seeing tissue move, but if somebody's lying down on their back and their ribs are relatively high compared to their pelvis, then when you contract your muscles, they will go from a, a you know, like a, a bowed appearance because the muscle sits lower than your ribs when you're on your back, if your ribs are high, when you go to do a sit up, things will pop up because yeah. when you tension something that is slack, when rectus at rest versus rectus on tension, rectus is going to form a straight line. If it starts below the line of its attachments, its bony borders, and then it pops up to that line, that is not doming. And that is muscles turning on. And then if they've got like an inch of subcutaneous fat in front of it, it's going to look worse than that. You got to know where the bony borders are. You got to know your bony attachments. You got to know um, also where the muscle is. And then if they've got hypertrophied muscles anyway, because they have been doing things, then you've also got to understand that it may sit above the bony borders simply because there's more of it. There's more of it. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, the central tendon is in the center. Um, so, yeah, there's a whole bunch of considerations that go into the cosmetic appearance of it all. What a, what a, what a great place to leave it. I mean, I think there are so many oh, other gosh, things we I could talk about. Oh, gosh, I could talk for hours. Yeah, I, I, I've got a feeling that um, this episode might generate a, a, a even more questions and more things that, that our listeners would them. love. Mm. Yeah, would love us. And I... I foresee another episode with Anthony that's what I foresee mm. I'd be happy to sit here for the rest of the afternoon and <laughs> pick your brain Anthony and I um I just there was so many incredible gold nuggets throughout there in regards to empowerment and how important um the we know our words are important but I've you've even just managed to flip things for me to make things even more positive. Like, I, yeah, that was it's just, not all it was just and rainbows. Thank no, you. No, no. It's not all sunshine <laughs> and rainbows. It's just how yeah. are we looking at people? What yeah. is our role? And, you know, if I could just finish on one little example just yeah. to ask people to think of, if I said that every, if I drew a square on the ground, right, and if I said anywhere that you exercise inside this square, let's just say it's five meters by five meters, okay? Anywhere that you exercise inside this square is safe for you. Where do you think most people would go to inside the square? Dead center. In the center, right? Because that's what we do. We go, well, it must be the safest in the middle. So right. we'll go there, right? Now, what if I told you that if you exercised on the edge of the square, let's just say that there's a fence there. This is my farmyard analogy. If you lean on the fence, if you if you go to the edge there and you exercise on the edge, you can actually make that square bigger. What would you do? And so different people would go from the center to varying distances towards the edge of the line, right? Everything outside the square is, say, injury or something bad happens, say, maybe. The thing is, is that if we really want to improve people's strength, capacity, function, flexibility, mobility, power, speed, you change of direction, change of timing, symptoms, like any of those things, you have to go exercise closer to the edge than you do closer to the middle. And we treat postpartum women closer to the middle instead of finding the edge for them and then teaching them 
that the edge changes hour by hour and day by day and how to negotiate that in their everyday life. Like if your baby's woken up eight times that night, yeah, that edge might be super close mm. to the middle already and that's okay. You know what? Yeah. Don't do your exercise. Rest, recover, eat, like get some yeah. sleep. And then other times it's like, you know what? Today I'm feeling really good. I can do a bit more. And so then instead of following a recipe of, oh, because I am five weeks postpartum, I can only do this. Yeah. It's like, hey, today I feel like I can do a bit more. Let's just see how far I can go before I feel like I'm leaning on a fence. Oh, this feels like it. I just pull back a bit and then go. There are some women, like I had one lady choose to, to play competitive volleyball at three weeks postpartum. She came and saw me at two weeks postpartum. She would, She didn't even tell me. She said, I'm here because the midwife said I got diastasis. I looked, I went, I think you're going okay. We talked about some general principles. She played volleyball. She came to me after her six-week check. Oh, you know, how's things wow, going? Wow, that's so and she awesome. Goes, oh, so I've played three games of volleyball or whatever. <laughs> and uh, this was poker face for me, right? Because I'm like, holy shit, oh, my God. <laughs> I'm, am I going to hear a bad story? Now? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I said, oh, you know, how did you manage it? What did you do? And she said, I only went on for a couple of minutes at a time. I didn't die for anything. My teammates were really good, but I just wanted to get back to the team. And it's really important to acknowledge that being a part of the team is so important to her. Being there right. socially, like health is not just about the, the tissues and what our organs are doing. It's, it's, it's a complete thing. So... Number one, don't stop. Like physios listening, do not stop people going to class. Please, let's just trust that the instructors are going to be conservative and take care of people because no, worst comes to worst. Let's just say it's financially motivated. People don't want to hurt people because they stop paying to come, okay? Right. <laughs> so at the very worst motivation, which is financial motivation, they don't want to hurt people. So let's just stop people or well, let's stop telling you people don't come to class number two teach people how to find their relative boundary for that moment in time so that they can apply it in their life when they're not with you for that hour in that week right yeah. and then let's just assume that people who come to see us are strong capable adaptable and resilient let's ask and listen and acknowledge and give them permission that's not even ours to give, but they may want to hear it from us to go, you know what, you want to take it easy today? Not a problem. And if you want to go harder another time, just let me know because there are no rules. I'm happy to be directed by you. And that to me is a much healthier situation than what we have as the status quo now today. Oh, I tried not to rant too much today. No, that was that was absolutely um, brilliant, Anthony. What mm. a summary! I was going to ask. Um, so, I, if people want to come and do a course with you, come in, like what what are you doing at the moment? Because I know obviously with COVID um, and travel, etc., you're not as we started off in the conversation, not all over the world at the moment. So, how do people how do people connect with you? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I. MyPTEducation.com is the easiest way to find my courses. Uh, I have the female athlete course, which is designed for all health and fitness professionals who work with um, people who identify as female um, to come along and learn an evidence-based 
holistic biopsychosocial approach to healthcare um, and fitness and how to help women with pelvic floor issues and diastasis to be able to help reach their goals. So that's coming up. There's a live online one starting in May. Um, So if you want to come along to that, that would be awesome. Then we also have, um, then we also have a whole bunch of diastasis courses that will be released. So there's a consult based course um, with Lisa Ryan. Um, So we go through her initial consult. It's two hours long and we give a commentary on it. There's a whole bunch of reflection questions um, and then I've got Diastasis Reframed, which is designed for health professionals and fitness professionals. Lots of discussion from world leaders are, are around the world on this course. And so we go through some stuff there. That's going to be released very, very soon. And the Diastasis Project is a donation-based uh, project. So I'm in the, the middle of doing a whole bunch of those, but I've got wow. like a lot of wow. consults yeah. just to, so that people can see what treating diastasis differently might look like, assessing and managing it might look like. And if all of that is too much, I have the foundations course, which is just to change the way that you or challenge the way that you think about what you do. And that's also a good place to start too. There's a lot of different options for you. Um Anthony, it's seriously, what a, what a, you know, I, I just feel we're so lucky to have you on and get to talk to you. And as I said, I'd be happy to talk to you for many, many hours as I know our listeners would. So I can't, I can't wait to, for everyone to hear this. Thank you. And for the listeners that are out there, if you would like me to come back and you have specific questions to ask, I'm happy to do a, ask me anything or Ooh. whatever, but tell the Pilates elephant people that you want me back and then I'll come back. It's that easy. Yay. Thanks, Anthony. Thanks very much. After two exercise science degrees and over a decade and a half of reading research daily, I've condensed all the current science on rehab into a program called the Clinical Exercise Specialist Rehabilitation. Inside the program, I'll teach you to do three things. One, deeply understand how the body works. Two, confidently and expertly rehab literally any client. And three, get results for your clients. So ultimately, your clients tell their friends and you become known as the go-to expert in your area. This program is completely unlike any education you've done before, even if you've studied with us before, because of the way we've built the learning design. It's an online, flexible, skill-based learning program, which means you keep doing the skills under supervision until you're good at them. It's more of a mentorship model than a traditional course model. So Rather than rushing through the content and having sort of one go at everything, you actually just practice live and we give you feedback and guidance and we dialogue and explore concepts together until you're highly skilled and confident. We just keep working the material until you get it. It's not rushed at all. It's not about ticking off the content. It's about engaging, practicing and applying it until you own it. 
This is a life-changing program, not some weekend certification. I've put my heart and soul into building this, and I can't wait to share it with you and help you discover your genius for anatomy and rehab. Now, because of the highly interactive nature of this program, we're only taking on 12 students worldwide. The program starts on March the 1st, and the first 12 qualified people to apply will be allowed to enroll. So if you're interested in learning more, click the link in the show notes and download the course guide or go to breathe-education.com and click on the clinical certification menu in uh, link in the top menu. That's breathe-education.com and click on the clinical certification link in the top menu.